We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Troche, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92, and you can follow me at Bill Troche. Keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Uh, and today, if you're watching on YouTube, you see we got a three-man crew. Today, we uh, welcome in Shahan Jay Araja from CBSSports.com, national college football writer, and more importantly, the second vice president of the Football Writers Association of America to our own Bill Bender, who is the first vice president of the Football Writers Association of America. Do I have to call Mr. VP1 and Mr. VP2 on this podcast? How do I handle this? I'm not used to having like real titles in my life before, so I have no idea. You can call me whatever you'd like. Okay. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good to see you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, Bill and I got a chance to to hang out during uh, the national championship game in Houston, so that was a lot of fun. So I guess it hasn't been that long since we last talked. Right, uh, Shahan. Last time we were talking, I was we were done with Michigan, Washington. We were. Um, I was having a few drinks, as you know, I, you've seen me put them down in, in order. <laughs> and then, um, then like a thousand things changed since we left after we left Houston that we didn't think we're going to change. So I think we're going to get into that with you a little bit today. Yeah. It's been the endless coaching carousel here in the off season. Uh, we want to talk a little, uh, UCLA. We want to talk a little Notre Dame. We're going to talk a little big 12 eventually. Uh, but first, uh, Shahan, we do this thing called Trochi Trivia. Okay, every show I ask Bill a Trochi trivia question. And uh, but if we have a guest, you guys can compete. So I ask the question at the beginning of the show, then we revisit it at the end of the show. Okay, and uh, this is going to be a fun one because we're going to have a little World Cup soccer shootout style trivia contest between the two of you. You can each take turns uh, on this question. Okay, Deshaun Foster became the ninth active power five head coach to be hired by his alma mater. You guys can start taking a shot at the other eight. You can alternate at the end of the show and take your shot for the other eight power four coaches who are currently working for their alma mater. So let's get in 
to uh, the latest, uh, why, why we're talking about Deshaun Foster, Chip Kelly has decided that uh, being the head coach in Los Angeles is not as good as being an assistant coach in Columbus, Ohio. Now, Bill lives in Columbus, so maybe Columbus is nicer than Los Angeles. He can speak to that better than I can. But, um, yeah, what do you think, Sheehan, uh, cut, uh, kick us off here. Thoughts on Chip Kelly essentially taking a demotion, taking a pay cut, and staying in the same conference. Uh, it's it's on the surface, it's bizarre, but then in some ways it wasn't bizarre. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I think a lot of people have jumped to conclusions with uh, with the UCLA coach leaving for Ohio State. I think there's more context to it than that. First of all, I mean, look, Chip Kelly, there were rumors that he might have been fired this offseason, that he might not be back next year. And so this was a ship that I think Chip Kelly understood was maybe sinking a little bit. Certainly UCLA also has some of their own issues. Budgetary stuff was an issue when he was hired. And they're still in the process of trying to upgrade. And uh, they're in a lot of debt. That's one of the reasons why moving to the Big Ten was such a necessity for them in their eyes. And so, you know, certainly I think that there's some context about not wanting to take UCLA into the Big Ten, especially as a coach who maybe is a lame duck. It's unlikely in my eyes, and it appeared in Chip Kelly's eyes too, that he would be able to pull out of this tailspin potentially, especially entering a tougher situation in this tougher conference. And the other part to mention is that Chip Kelly is a super successful coach over his tenure. He's coached teams to you know the national championship game. He's coached in the NFL. Like I get the idea that man, well, why not just stick around and collect a four million dollar buyout? But I mean, it's kind of worth more to to make good use of his time just because of how much money he's made in his career, the success he's had in his career. And so if he's in a situation that he knows is kind of a walking dead situation, I think that Chip Kelly is one of the few coaches in the sport who has the ability to, to pull out and say, well, why not just do something that I like to do? And of course, he gets to reunite with his uh, former New Hampshire quarterback at Ohio State. I think he's going to have a lot of freedom. Ohio State uh, is a place that, to me, 
kind of recruits itself so he doesn't have to necessarily be in the day-to-day grind of the recruiting uh, situation, especially since uh, his head coach is also an offensive mind. So I think it just checks a lot of boxes. I I think that if you're Chip Kelly, what's better for your career long-term? Is it to be the failed UCLA coach or is it to get out potentially take over this Ohio State team that has made a lot of really interesting moves this offseason. I know we'll get to that. Uh, And is that a better opportunity for you to kind of rehab your image or also just legacy-wise? Is it better to get fired from a job or is it better to uh, prove that you still have the juice as an offensive coach? Well, Shahan, I I hate the the optics when people just say, well, the optics of it, but (laughs) so when you have – a school coming into the conference whose head coach leaves to be an offensive coordinator. Is there any, and I would rope in Boston college here with Hathley leaving for the Packers and and you, you and I know we're not fan of lazy narratives, but how much is there to, if you're coaching at a, let's call it mid-major power five, is that just become too difficult to win? And then he's just like, ah, forget it. I'll go, I'll go call plays for the Buckeyes and be in the playoff. Well, I think that more than anything, you want to be in a position where you can have success. I, I mean, I think that that's what it is at the end of the day. And, you know, you mentioned Jeff Halfley at Boston College. That was a situation where he was just treading water. You know, you talk about UCLA. What they put in versus what they expect out, those are not necessarily analogous. So I think that the if you look at certain programs, right, that invest at a high level, uh, I mean, you know, I'm down here in Texas. I look at TCU. I don't think Sonny Dykes is leaving to become the offensive coordinator for, you know, Michigan, right? I, I don't think that that's happening because I think that he feels like he has the pathway to success and a pathway to winning. And the other part of this too, is that uh, this is a weird hiring cycle for Boston college and UCLA, especially, but good coaches, good coordinators are still taking these jobs. I, so I think that, the coaches who are making these kinds of decisions are ones whose narratives may be at their programs are already set and maybe finalized, right? Where, where maybe there's just nowhere else to go. I don't think necessarily that it's like, oh my gosh, what would I rather be the offensive coordinator at Michigan State or the head coach at Troy, right? Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily the decision that's being made. It's, well, is being a fourth year coach at you know, at South Alabama, that that maybe, you know, won't be able to replicate the same kind of success that I had earlier, a more valuable situation, or is it going to an even more high profile job that I probably couldn't have gotten before, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I obviously Kane Womack was the coach of South Alabama. He was a defense coordinator at Indiana before that. So to jump up to the defense coordinator of Alabama, I think that that's a little bit of a different situation than, oh, well, I just didn't want that job in the first place. Does UCLA deserve some blame in this? Should they have fired him at the end of this year with his record one game over 500 and you're entering the Big Ten? You need to act like a Big Ten program. And he had an $8 million buyout and potentially, I don't know, I'm not an insider if that was the reason they didn't fire him, but a Big Ten program that wants to compete does not bring Chip Kelly back for his seventh year. Is that fair to say? Well, I think certainly they feel good about it right now because they, they end up $10 million ahead <laughs> with, the, with the buyout and with saving the $8 million on the other buyout. But I do think that 
to be a serious invested football program. That is a conversation, right? I, I had some people, you know, there were rumors flying all over the, the weekend that Jed Fish was talking to UCLA and his agency came out very strongly and said, absolutely not. And this was kind of part of my case was, well, you know, UCLA is going to have more money. They're going to get the full payout from the Big Ten. But the commitment to football has not been there across administrations, across coaches. And they're trying. I actually really am a big fan of Martin Germain, their athletic director over there. But he's fighting back against 30 years of history, right? I, I mean, they are trying to catch up, not get ahead of anybody at this point. And they're about to enter a league where everybody is pretty much invested outside of a, a handful of select teams at the bottom. So I do think that UCLA deserves some of the blame for this. I do think that uh, a more committed football program, you know, maybe decides to move on. I do think that Chip was doing an all right job. Like, I mean, you know, you look at their success before Chip and you look at the success with Chip. I mean, they had a little bit of a disappointing year this year after the year they had in 2022. Right. I don't necessarily think it was a fireable uh, year necessarily. It was a, it was a, Hey, maybe we need to reevaluate. Maybe we need to see if this is, uh, you know, grown stale. I don't think it was a, this is a disaster. We need to make a power move and fire him kind of year necessarily. But I think that what makes you look worse is when the reports come out that you're considering firing him and then you don't fire him and you kind of say, well, but if you leave on your own account, we won't be too mad about that. I, I think that that looks a little amateur hour uh, whenever you have that kind of situation where there's just this kind of telegraphed message, even through the media, that we are looking to move on from our coach, but we chose not to. I think that's a worse look. Because we don't want to pay for it. Exactly. I think that that's where you run into issues. But, you know, to bring him back, that's not a huge deal to me. But the way that this all happened, I think UCLA absolutely deserves some blame for it. Well, let's talk about the guy they got. Uh, your thoughts on Deshaun Foster? I was, you know, came out of the blue to me. Uh, you know, the, the uh, players had the big reaction yesterday. We saw that on Twitter. They were, uh, you know, thrilled that he was back. Uh, he was an assistant on the on the team since 2017. Had just left for the Raiders, came back. Uh, they had a big celebration. And everything. I just, you know, he has a pulse. The, the the words are he's got a his hand on the pulse of the team and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, he's got a, he's got a steep hill to climb and I'm worried they're going to go, you know, in the three and nine neighborhood this year, recruiting has not been great. As we know, transfer portal opens up for 30 days, tough schedule, new conference, a lot of travel, um, wish him well. I mean, I've always kind of pulled for UCLA, you know, Bill, Bill knows I was a Chip Kelly advocate. Every time he does his, his coaches' rankings, I'm like, what about Chip? Come on, bump up Chip a little bit. He's got a good resume and all that stuff. But uh, I kind of waved the white flag on that one after a little while. But, yeah, I see an uphill climb. Uh, what were your thoughts on on the guy they, they ended up with? So I really hope I'm wrong about this, right? But it, this hire just feels so Matt Luke at Ole Miss, right, where you just bring in a guy – who is beloved for good reason by the fan base, somebody who knows the program, somebody who understands what he's up against, but who is kind of hired to be a placeholder in a lot of ways, to kind of weather the storm that maybe this transition to the Big Ten is going to be kind of miserable and they don't want to make their real hire before they do it. That's just how it came off a little bit to me. Now, the timing is weird. There, there's not necessarily a huge list of awesome coaches who are looking to leave on February 13th, right? Like, I mean, that is a 
complication that that obviously UCLA had to deal with. And like you said, I, I mean, he seems to have a good grasp of UCLA, a good grasp of Los Angeles, but he isn't the most experienced coach in the Power Five at this, or, or the Power Four, I guess, now at this point, right? I, I mean, I think that when you look at it, his primary roles have been as a running back coach. Uh, he hasn't been a, even a, a coach that long, a position coach that long, because he had an NFL career before that as well. And so, look, I think that there's something to getting somebody who can rally the troops a little bit, especially at this time when you need to be raising money, you need to be raising NIL, you need to be transitioning to the Big Ten. I'm going to be very curious to see what kind of hires they make uh, at coordinators, at assistants, because, you know, this is a not just a first time head coach. I mean, this is a coach who's ever had a job, anything like this, uh, you know, when it comes to leading a program, running a program, especially one that one is going to be competing in the Big Ten against a whole bunch of other great programs. And two uh, is dealing with some of the outside factors that UCLA has dealt with over the past 20 years. So, Again, I hope I'm wrong about that. Uh, you know, Deshaun Huntley seems like a really, uh, really good guy and somebody who, uh, sorry, Deshaun Foster. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, ultimately he is somebody who knows UCLA and hopefully that means that he was able to present a vision for the program that is, uh, that kind of deals with the realities of the program. And from what we heard, too, UCLA interviewed several sitting head coaches as well. They didn't just decide to promote him internally without any sort of search. But it, it's hard not to look at this and the way that it happened and the timing of it as a transitionary hire. And that puts a coach in a brutal position from day one. Well, enough of this UCLA, Ohio State nonsense. Let's talk about Bama. Let's talk about what's going on there. Um you know, with uh, Ryan Grubb left, and I like everybody else, I caught the nugget of, well, they kind of knew it was going to happen, but they waited 30 days. Um, I guess two parts. Uh, are you okay with that, given that this sport has leaned, and rightfully so, toward better chances for student-athletes? And two, could they be the next one to go say, ah, we're going to go take a head coach and, and get this OC thing going? Yeah, I uh... Well, look, I, I obviously hate the, you know, waiting until the end of the 30-day window. That just feels garbage to me. I, I don't think it was like a huge shock to people around. I mean, they hadn't officially announced a lot of their coaches, even at this time. And so, you know, that, that's when you start kind of feeling some weirdness around it. And you see a job come open in Seattle where, you know, where he can live in the house that he's lived in the past couple of years. I, I mean, it's something that happens, right? I don't think it's a huge shock that uh, that the NFL gets involved. It's kind of an interesting dynamic, I'd say, uh, over the past couple of years that with the NFL embracing more college, you know, schematics and approaches that the interchangeability, I guess you could say, of the levels is kind of different than it's been in the past couple of years. We see that, you know, Harbaugh was already somebody at that level, but, you know, we've seen other coordinators move up to that level. Uh, Mike McDonald, right, was was literally uh, the defensive coordinator at Michigan before he went back to the Ravens and, and now is a head coach. So um, I, I don't love the, the way that that happens. I also understand why it did. And Alabama players, even if they had been able to transfer right now, it's February 13th. There's not spots available in the winter window. So I don't think it's like the end of the world. But it, it, it is a little icky to me. One, the, I, one thing on that is no one, none of those Alabama kids committed to Ryan Grubb. 
right there. or transferred in because of Ryan right. Grubb. So I, 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 that didn't bother me too much. But anyway, sorry, sure. go ahead. No, no, sure, sure. So I think, you know, the other piece, there's been some rumors today that uh, they're going to promote tight ends coach Nick Sheridan uh, to potentially be offensive coordinator, who has been an offensive coordinator before. Um, you know, he was the offensive coordinator, I believe, at Indiana before he rejoined Kalen DeBoer. So, you know, I think that's certainly um, like Ryan Grubb did an incredible job the last mm. two years at Washington. I don't think that necessarily can replace him, but I think you hope that Kalen DeBoer it would feel like he's ready if uh, if this came about. And also, you have to imagine that Kalen DeBoer has been thinking about this, right? That that he's known it's a possibility that Ryan Grubb is going to be leaving. So if, if he decides that, that Sheridan is the guy, then, you know, so be it. If they were to look elsewhere, right? Like Ohio State just did. I mean, they, they already have done it. Right? I mean, they have two coaches on their staff that they poached from group of five programs with Kane Wilmack coming from South Alabama and Mo Linguist coming from, uh, from Buffalo as a head coach moving to be a not head coach. So, you know, I, I think that it's something that obviously should be on our radars that, uh, that this, they could be looking at this, but I think ultimately, you know, Kalen DeBoer is an offensive coach. Um, he has not been a play caller in a little bit, so I, I don't expect that he's going to be the play caller at Alabama. I think he understands, look, I'm stepping into a situation where I need to be a holistic head coach because I'm the head coach at the University of Alabama now. Um, I would, again, I would hope that with him bringing in Nick Sheridan, somebody who, again, followed him at Indiana, I, I think that, uh, you know, potentially that could be a move to kind of, you know, split the difference just a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you make a good point. I don't, I don't see him adding play calling to his already mountainous task of taking over for Nick Saban. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, preferably for him, he hires a guy with some SEC background to help in the recruiting trail uh, as he kind of pokes around in some in a new area for him and for his staff. So, all right, next question I wanted to talk about, you're located in Dallas, heart of the Big 12. Uh, I want to talk about the future of the Big 12. Uh, next year, they'll have 16 teams, and only two of those 16 teams have reached either the college football playoff or the BCS national championship game in the last 26 years. And they are TCU and Cincinnati, who were a combined eight and 16 last year. Uh, and you won't find either of them in any of the way too early top 25s, the Bill Bender's way too early top 25s. So I guess my question is, are people other than Brett, your mark, optimistic about the future of the league? Well, I think that one of the biggest questions is what are expectations for this league? Because if the expectation is to produce programs that can compete with the top of the Big Ten and the SEC, I mean, that's a losing battle. You're not going to do that. I would make the case, and I I mean, again, like you mentioned, I'm in Dallas. I've covered the Big 12 for a decade at this point. I would make the case that there's a very good chance that the Big 12 and these programs will never in its current form win a national championship. Now, is that a big deal? I, I don't necessarily know that it is. Because these are programs that before, like you mentioned, their, their situation was not necessarily competing for national championships. So what's going to be most relevant, I think, to the league is being a league that produces a lot of good teams, teams that can make the playoff. I, I think that in a lot of years in the 12-team field, the Big 12 is going to have multiple teams in. I mean, you look at the past couple of years, they've 
been at that level. In 2022, for example, TCU and Kansas State would have both made it. Uh, obviously, we can look back to 2014, Baylor and TCU would have both made it. And I think that with some of the level of teams that they've had, there are teams that I think would be capable of winning games in, in the right situations with the right matchups. So, you know, look, it, again, it is is the only thing that a league is uh, kind of judged on winning national championships in college football. If that's the case, then yeah, I mean, the Big 12 is, is, is I think, long gone. But you also look at the 16 teams heading forward in this league. Almost every single one is heavily invested in football right now. I think, you know, you look at the level of coaching in the Big 12, you look at the players who have come through the Big 12 the past couple of years, there's a lot to like. And I think this is going to be an incredibly competitive league, mm-hmm. one where almost every single week, I mean, we see it in, in basketball right now, right? With the Big 12. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, on that note, kind of a two-part question. And to your point, you're right. I know... um... Kalani Sataki was talking about the parody of the Big 12 at Big 10 or Big 10, Big 12, always Big 10 on the brand, Big 12 media days last year. So I do think it will be competitive. So kind of a two-part question again, how do you sell it? And I look at the Big 12 and I say like the win could be if they can sell it as like alternative programming to the stodgy SEC and Big 10, where every game matters. Every game is going to be super fun. You've got Dion, you've got, you have things to sell. How would you sell the Big 12 if you were Brett Yormark? And two, truth serum, would you take the old Southwest Conference or the new Big 12? Which one would you rather have? Oh, come on. What kind of question is that for yeah, me? That, that's the layout for you. Yeah. Come on. that is. I am a Southwest Conference man through and through. You know, for people who don't know, before this, I used to work for a magazine called Dave Campbell's Texas yes. Football. And that magazine, in a lot of ways, was built out of the Southwest Conference. You know, uh, for people who are, like myself, by the way, who are too young to remember the Southwest Conference, basically all the Texas schools in Arkansas, uh, you know, for a lot of years. And to me, college football is a regional sport. I would love for the Texas schools to play each other again. But that's a whole conversation. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think when you're talking about selling this league, you have to sell kind of the day-to-day of it more than you're selling the big picture brand of it. Because again, like you said, I mean, Brett Yormark said, uh, you know, he's been asked, where do you think this league is? And he's like, we're number three and moving up. He doesn't think that they're competing head to head with the SEC and the Big Ten. That's not necessarily his goal. What I think his goal is and and what I I think the right strategy is, is like you said, to kind of pitch it as we got a lot of great stuff happening over here. We've got a lot of quality football. And one thing that I don't think people necessarily appreciate enough is that there's also going to be a lot of down in in the new SEC and Big Ten with teams that just can't compete. I mean, 
what the hell is South Carolina supposed to do now, right? Playing in this league, what what the heck is uh is you know Rutgers supposed to do? Indiana supposed to do? There's there's a lot of kind of just bad vibes, I'd even say, with some of these programs heading forward. And the Big 12 is going to be, out of the major leagues, the most upwardly mobile conference by far. You know, we, we saw it in the, in the past couple of years where you have TCU. They miss a bowl game, and the next year they're in the national championship game, and then they miss a bowl game, right? Like, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the kind of league that this has been and will continue to be, I think, over the next couple of years. And so, you know, I think that the unpredictability, the quality of play, by the way, I, I've long made the case. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody with a background in the Big 12. Obviously, I watch it closer than most. But innovation in football really starts uh, at the major college level in the Big 12, right? The air raid came through. You see the 3-3-5 stuff really started at Iowa State, went to Baylor, then ended up at Clemson, then ended up everywhere. So there's a lot, I think, to sell about the product itself. And you know, not everybody's going to love to hear stuff like this, but the Dion thing is kind of a good example of how I think the Big 12 will brand itself heading forward with people who do stuff off the field, who uh, there, there'll be a lot of off the field content, there'll be a lot of access. So I think that they understand we are not competing on the same level as those two big leagues, but there's plenty to watch. And especially if you want to kind of get more to the essence of what college football is, we have a lot to sell. Quick question on Ohio State. We spoke of the, the way too early top 25. Should they be number one after this offseason? I mean, it's been pretty incredible. <clears throat> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I am of such two minds about Ohio State because, one, I mean, you have to point out the, the roadblock is gone. Jim Harbaugh is gone. And that's kind of been the thing that's kept them from not just being in the playoff the last couple of years or winning the Big Ten, but like, maybe winning the national championship. Like what, what if Georgia is, is the, you know, Georgia's the one seed in 2022 and Ohio state's the two seed and they only have to play them in the national championship game. Does that change anything? I, I don't know. So that part's huge. Uh, bring in Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, I mean, bring in Chip Kelly, bring, bring in Will Howard to kind of shore things up. Seth McLaughlin at center, Caleb Downs. I, I mean, these are, these are serious additions, man. I think that when you look at Ryan Day in Ohio State, it feels like 2024 is the year where everything has to happen. Like they are putting all their eggs into that year and saying, we have to win a national championship. This has to be the time that we do it. We have to be number one. Would I have them number one? I think that they are in a conversation with a couple of teams. Georgia comes to mind, bring back Carson Beck, bring back some of the talented players they do on defense. Uh, I'm really high on Oregon after what they did last year and what they bring back. I don't know if I can necessarily get them to number one, but they're going to be in my conversation, I would say, for number one. And and then it's Ohio State. I, I think that those are the three teams that you're probably looking more than any other as the preseason number one team. I think right now I'd narrowly lean Georgia, but... I mean, it is it is this close. It, it is a tiny margin, yeah. I think, when you're picking number one. And I mean, look, the other part of this too is that Georgia's not peaking next year. They lost some big time players in Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers. They're going to have a whole nother wave of guys drafted in the 2024 NFL draft. And Ohio State is bringing back a shocking amount of production on both sides of the ball. I especially look at that defense. I mean, the fact that they managed to basically keep their defensive line together, like. 
what the hell, man? Like, that's crazy. These are guys who could have been picked in the first two rounds of the NFL draft, and they decided to come back and be a part of this. And, uh, you know, obviously I think that their defense was very good last year, but now you had Caleb Downs to that mix as well. So, I and, and I don't want to frame it like this, but the question is, okay, is the coaching going to be there? Is Ryan Day ready for this moment? Is he ready to kind of step up? get back to what he did before and, and be that level of coach. And I think the other part you have to mention too, and like I mentioned, I spent a lot of time around the, the big 12 is all right. Is Will Howard, the guy who can get it done for you? Um, I, I expect the offense to look a lot different than it has the past couple of years. It's not going to be Kyle McCord as a statue in the pocket, kind of trying to launch from there. I expect a lot more motion, a, a ton more running with both the quarterbacks and running backs. And so is that going to work? I, I mean, the funny thing about Ryan Day over these past couple of years is it feels like he has, like Michigan, and for good reason, I mean, it's the biggest rivalry in the sport, like Michigan has been in his head so much the past couple of years, and it almost feels like he's gone on a transition of trying to turn Ohio State into Michigan to be ready for that moment. And especially with, quote-unquote, real Michigan out of the way now, with Jim Harbaugh off to the NFL and a lot of their best players off too, I mean, maybe that's something that can work in this league. Now, the question is, you know, I think that Ohio State historically, and Michigan's the reigning national champion, of course, they managed to get the job done. But Ohio State, I think, has played a, a, a scheme before that I think matches up well with the Georgias, with the Alabamas, with kind of the, the rest of college football, but maybe doesn't work the same way uh, with the same effectiveness in the Big Ten, where everybody's prepared in a certain kind of way to play a certain style of ball. So that's going to be my big question, okay? I, I fully expect that uh, that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten, that they're going to be number one, number two, number three in the first 12-team college football playoff. Then I think it gets interesting about uh, what happens when they get there. But, you know, I, I think that for me it's Georgia one, Ohio State two, Oregon three. But, I mean, in five minutes I might change my mind. You can be swayed. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I would. I would put Texas three, but Oregon's right there. I like Texas talent and what they have coming back. The Ohio State thing, I can answer a couple questions for you. One, that yeah. those guys on defense came back because, as I tell Bill, and being in the middle of it, they haven't beat Michigan. Sure. sure. End of story. Like, they haven't beat Michigan. That's why they're back. And Marvin Harrison, like, I remember Bill and I had this conversation. Why won't he? Well, he didn't beat Michigan. Yeah, he'd be the number two pick in the NFL draft. He still didn't beat Michigan. And that gets held over your head. It got held over Chad Henney's head. It got held over Mike Hart's head. Mike, you know, Mike Hart had to wait to become a coach to beat Ohio State. That rivalry is everything. I do think they have the, the lead in the Big Ten. They're going to be really good. Um, and to your point about the offense, I do. they've drifted away. I, I think Chip Kelly will turn them into a 60-40 run pass offense with Quinshawn, with Will Howard, with uh, Travion. I think they'll run more. And... It'll be interesting to see how that plays when they do play Georgia, because they will play Georgia at some point next year. Uh, last, last thing before we do the trivia question, then we can get you out of here. At Notre Dame, our, our podcast is through Irish Breakdown. We have a lot of Notre Dame uh, listeners. Uh, this is this next part's going to hurt you personally, that they haven't won a national title since 88. And that was three years after your Bears won a Super Bowl. I just wanted to point that out <laughs> on the podcast, just to stick well, that knife in. Listen, listen, I was born in 1994, so none of this is real to me. Anyway. None of this hurts you because <laughs> you weren't alive yet, and it doesn't count because you weren't alive. Um, but I always never miss a chance to take a shot at a Bears fan. You know that. And um, so what's your big picture view of Notre Dame? I mean, Marcus Freeman coming back. Obviously, the Ohio State game happened last year. I was there for that. And one yard, I still think they're one yard away from a very different narrative of last year 
where do they fit in this next chapter of college football? And will they be a playoff regular? You look at their schedule next year, there's no reason why they shouldn't be in. I am very curious uh, what conversations were had with Troy to take Jared Parker off their hands, because that that was a hire when it was made that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and kind of didn't end up making a whole lot of sense. Uh, and to go from that, to bring in Mike Denbrock, the guy who just produced the Heisman Trophy winner, I, that is, to me, a power move. And it's funny, you're seeing a lot of guys with uh, with Notre Dame ties at LSU say, nah, I'd, I'd rather be a part of this Notre Dame program than Brian Kelly's LSU program. And I think that they're reaping some of the benefits of that. But, you know... I, there were signs that I liked last year, right? Defensively, they continued to be really good. I think that their offensive line play continued to grow, continued to con- to get back to the level that we expect at Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, so pieces-wise, I like what they're doing there. You know, whenever, uh, whenever last season was starting, I remember telling a lot of people about, uh, you know, a Texan down here, Jaden Greathouse, who, you know, was a freshman at receiver for them, but I felt like was the kind of receiver that they haven't gotten uh, at Notre Dame and didn't really get under Brian Kelly. Well, they're starting to come here now a little bit more under Marcus Freeman. So the the climb has been, I think, a little slower than I hoped, I'd say, right? I mean, to, to kind of get, you mentioned, they played Ohio State close and they've played well in their big games, but they played worse in their small games than I, I think that I expected as well. I mean, you look maybe at that Duke game, for example, they, they didn't play all that great. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, Notre Dame right now, I think they're heading in a good direction. Again, we, we know the kind of recruiting success that they've had. And I think some of those pieces started to show themselves through the middle and end of last year. I'm still very high on, on this program. I still think that Marcus Freeman is doing a great job. And, uh, and you know, the other thing, too, is, again, they, they've had one of the more difficult schedules uh, in college football each of the last two years. You know, I looked at this team this past year and was like, I mean, could I make a playoff case for them? Well, they played, like, three playoff contenders <laughs> across the year and they'd have to go two and one against them to have a chance. And so, you know, I, I think though that, uh, like you said, this is a year where the schedule settles down just a little bit where it, it's not quite as tough. You're also in a 12 team college football playoff world, which is going to only help them, I believe. And I, I think that bringing Mike Denbrock to team up with Riley Leonard, who, you know, I, I love Sam Hartman. I think that he deserved a lot better than some of the situations he was put into last year. But Riley Leonard is more of a self-starter. He's somebody who can make something happen out of nothing. He's never been able to play uh, behind an offensive line like this and as much structure as he has with some of the receivers that they have. Uh, and so I'm excited about what this team has a chance to be this next year. And uh, and again, I, I am very optimistic about what Mike Denbrock can bring on that offense, especially because the defense has kind of been a, a sure thing under Marcus Freeman. It's been the offense that's been trying to find its rhythm. So uh, overall. It, pretty excited but you know again they, they have to make it happen too yeah it's been <clears throat> drama free offseason for the most part you know the Denbrock hire was a was a win Riley Leonard was a, a, a quick win there was no drama about who where is he you know it was just boom transfer portal boom he's at Notre Dame everything else has been rather quiet they had some good good news on people coming back especially on the defensive side of the ball like you said and the schedule that we talked about. So I looked at in the Bill Bender way too early top 25, which we're going to have a revised version next week since we've had a lot of changes since January when he did it uh, out in Houston. There's only three teams 
in Bill's uh, too early top 25, it's Florida State, it's Louisville, and it's USC. Florida State and Louisville are at home, so only one road game. And they only have three true road games on the whole schedule. They have seven home, two neutral, uh, Georgia Tech and Navy are neutral, and then just three true road games. So schedule in their favor, like we talked about. Uh, the, the, the field opens up to 12 teams, so they are definitely going to be one to keep an eye on for sure. So There's a quick fix for that, and it's called a Big Ten schedule. <laughs> Big Ten schedule? That Big Ten West schedule? Well, like, I'm, like, I'm all those saying. powers that average 18 points a game? Boy, that would be tough. comes to the Big Ten, you know, you can fit Oregon <laughs> and Ohio State. The majority of the Big Ten scores 18 points a game. Let's just keep that in mind. So um, <laughs> Anyway, all right, let's get into the trivia. Uh, we'll have our shootout. So the question uh, we'll revisit is Deshaun Foster is the ninth uh, head coach, power four head coach to be hired uh, and is working for his alma mater. Uh, so Shehan, we will have you go first. There's eight remaining. Take your first swing. Give me somebody who is working at their alma mater right now. All right, so I, I'm confident I've got five of them. So we're, we're going to have to see whether I can pull the rest out uh, whenever we get into the shootout. But I'm going to go with an obvious answer first. I'm going to go with Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart, one is off the board. Bill Bender, you I are next. I didn't listen to the question because I have eight coaches listed and four of them are a group of five guys. But So maybe we'll have to reach there a little bit. Um, no, they're all power four. No, there's there's – couple in the group of five well no i'm saying the question i didn't listen to the answers I, i'm gonna have to dig for some answers here late um i've got mario cristobal mario cristobal Ooh. miami he was hired in 2022 so that's two off the board back to you shahan all right so i'll go with mike gundy mike gundy ohio of oklahoma state hired in 2005 <laughs> I'm going to run into some problems here, so I'm going to go Brent Key. Brent Key, Georgia Tech, right down the road from me, hired 2023. You actually have picked two guys that I did not successfully have on my list, so I appreciate you for that. Oh, that's uh, right. <laughs> uh, I'm next going to go with, uh, you actually mentioned this team, and that helped me remember, Jeff Brom, Louisville. Jeff Brom, Louisville, hired in 2023, off to a nice start. No, go again. You can go again. I'm I'm probably stuck here. I'm just I'm trying to cheat and look at schools and see if I can find a name. We got, um, we got three left, we, and one of the three has been is, named, has been discussed the, on the, today's program. One of the is, three is the ACC tapped out. Are we done there? Is the ACC tapped out? Yes, I thought so. Um, name your other one, and I'm gonna stall. Yeah, wait. Uh, I I don't. How did he get left? Yeah, I have three left. Uh, okay, I'm going to go uh, with Kenny Dillingham from Arizona State. Kelly, Kenny Dillingham. Didn't play college football, but he graduated from Arizona State. So Shahan takes the lead. Four I, two. I'm going to figure out who, who we talked about earlier. I've got two left, but I don't remember talking about either of them. You got well, anything, go Bill? No, you go ahead and close it. I'm out because, but I'm going to name my four group of five coaches Ooh. when you're done. Okay, okay. all okay. right. Uh, Clark Lee, right? Clark Vanderbilt. Lee from Vanderbilt. There yeah. you go, Bill Bender. Come on, now your co-host went to Vanderbilt. You should know that. <laughs> I didn't hired in 2021. Not off to a good start, but uh, no. we're giving him a shot. Last one. <laughs> all right, last one. Uh, is it Kalani Tataki? 
You are correct. We mentioned Kalani Sataki earlier in the show. So. Oh, we did mention that. I, I have him. I there have him go. on here. Oh, Goodness. 6-2. It was a runaway, man. Runaway. You're not going to be invited back. Bill's going to be like, no, we don't want him back. <laughs> no, because I didn't hear. And then just be, so to give myself some credibility back, Troy, <laughs> Troy Calhoun, Air Force. Okay. Jimmy yep. Chang, Hawaii. Sean Clark, App State. There you go. And Mike New, Ball State. That was my eight. So I, I did eight. That's a heck of a pull. I would not have gotten my That, that was a good pull. That's for, the, for those of us that watched the Mac. And I had Kalani on here. And then I have another name, but I can't even read my own damn writing. So because um, <laughs> all the pencils are not in the office and I pulled out a blue Crayola marker. So, um, well, well, I appreciate you again. I, I had six on my list and the two that I didn't have were the two that you mentioned. Well, I always say I always say when I watch games and watch college football, one of the things I love about it and one of the things I loved about Brent Key in particular is you can tell the passion he has for his school. Yeah. And Whenever you coach for your school, it's a different level. Obviously, Jim left, but for Jim Harbaugh to win a national title at Michigan, it means like a thousand times more as a national title. The last three national titles have been won by alums, with Kirby Smart, the two before that. And you have to go all the way back to 1998, Phil Fulmer, to have another one. So we've had a long drought, and now we've had three in a row. So. All right. Well, that's it. Thanks, Shihan, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the CFB Nation All-America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.